This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. For joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Ila Dubrovsky. Very excited to be here with my co-host, the Meister of the Match at the Player Projection Pundit, the Corsi Authority, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. It is the dawn of the Cup full playoffs. We've waited all year to get to this point. I know everyone listening isn't quite at the playoff part of their pool yet. But in the Cup Full, we take it very seriously. We have two-week matchups so that, you know, there's a little less luck involved in playoff matchups. So uh, so we're gearing up for that. Elon's going to set all the matchups tonight. And I think some of our advice tonight is going to start reflecting the time of year that we're in, right? With less season that remains and with a sample of 55 or 60 games that we've seen from players, we've seen how they're likely to be deployed. We've identified some patterns. We kind of uh, have, a, have a sense... A, of how a player is playing this year, and B, uh, maybe a little less patience for anyone who's struggling or a little more excitement for anyone who's on a current role because there just isn't that much time left to work with. Yeah, it makes sense. We've sort of crossed that threshold. Like you said, the cupful. By the way, Brian, not everyone knows every little acronym that you say. That's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. It's the league we run with the patrons of Keeping Carlson. It's a pretty epic league. I've been doing very badly lately, but I somehow was able to crawl, what's the word, like inch my way into the playoffs. There's like a negative word I'm supposed to use, but I can't remember it. I've limped. That's it. I've limped into the playoffs, but I'm there and I'm very excited. Like you say, Brian, we are going to start crossing that threshold where the players we're going to discuss today, I'm not going to be asking you like, how's this player going to do like two months from now? You know, is it worth holding on to this player because he's going to do better in a while? It's like, is he going to help me now or do I have to get rid of him? Of course, there's keeper implications. And we'll discuss that for young players. We're going to talk about Travis connecting later. Spoiler, he's probably worth holding. Uh, okay, why don't we get into the show? Before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website out there. It's hopefully been helping you all season long like it's been helping me. you got great articles every day. I love the daily ramblings. Just gives me a quick up-to-date recap of what's going on in fantasy hockey who are the players i should be watching paying attention to then you've got all the tools at frozen pools you've got your starting goalies line combinations i really like this who's hot and not tool that's not actually what they call it. it's like hot and cold too i like to call it hot or not but either way it's a really great tool actually for preparing for this podcast i get to see who are the players who are on hot streaks and who are on cold streaks okay that's it dauberhockey.com 
This is Keeping Carlson. And Brian, why don't we start with some outjuries, some players who have come back from injury just in the nick of time, maybe for their fantasy owners going into the fantasy playoffs or the run up to the fantasy playoffs. Let's start in Florida. Roberto Luongo and James Reimer are both back for the Panthers. Last week, we talked about them being on the verge of coming back. and We sort of gave a farewell to Harry Sateri. Let's see how the Panthers starting in backup or tandem goalies did this week. So Reimer came back first on Monday. Didn't play very well. Still pulled off a 7-5 win over Edmonton. Very sad for Cam Talbot to be not playing at his best lately, even though actually Cam Talbot did have a really good game against Arizona and the team couldn't score. That is a digression. I apologize. So Reimer, not a great game in his first game back, got the win. Then he played again on Wednesday, led in three goals on 37 shots, got the 4-3 win over Vancouver. So, okay, pretty good. Then finally, the Roberto Luongo came back yesterday. He played against Calgary, stopped 30 of 33 shots for the 6-3 win. So Florida's letting in some goals. These goalies aren't brick walls, but the offense is clearly doing well enough to give them the wins. And, you know, as Pete Jensen said last week, by the way, great job by Pete Jensen. We were really excited to have him on the show, and he was great. Check out the last episode if you haven't heard it. Anyways, like Pete said, this winning streak that Florida's on now, like I said, they've won those games. Harry Terry won a bunch of games in a row. It's brought the Panthers back in playoff contention. They're currently six points back of the Islanders, and there's Columbus and Carolina and the Rangers in between them. But they have like four or five games in hand against most of these teams. So they're very much in this. If you were to give them even just a tie in each of those games, they would be right up there fighting for that final playoff spot right in the hunt. So Brian, what's your opinion of these Florida goalies? The Panthers are going to be playing to win. They don't have time to give a player, you know, some rope and let him work out the kinks. So what do you think? I guess we talked about it a bit last week. Going into the season, we talked about it a lot and we thought it was going to be 50-50. Luongo ended up stealing the job right before he got injured. You know, but Luongo's probably not available in people's leagues. So I guess the real question in terms of fantasy relevance is like, should people be adding James Reimer or is he going to be useless because Roberto Luongo is the clear starter? With two healthy goalies, finally, again, well, okay, they've had Harry Soteri, so they've had two healthy goalies, but it seems like it's been a while since they've had Luongo and Reimer back, so there's two ways the Panthers can reset this. They can go back to the very start of the year, when starts were split pretty much down the middle for the first six games, and then Luongo had that hand injury and missed time with that, but when Luongo came back, the net was given straight to him. So that's the other way they might reset this. He was Florida's starter for 10 of the next 13 games. And that run for Luongo too was interrupted by his most recent injury that he's returning from. My hunch is that the default is that it's Roberto Luongo's net for at least two out of every three starts, unless he falters. And Elon, like you said, there are playoff implications. I was going to go on one of my favorite little playoff standings, playoff race rants, Anyway, the rain goes like how Florida, even though they're only six points out of playoff spot, they have three teams that they need to pass on the way. It's not always about how many points back as much as it is how many other teams you have to leapfrog because those teams have to fail in addition to you doing well. So the more teams there are between you and the last spot, uh, obviously your odds decrease just based on that and not alone by points. But the point you made about Florida having so many games in hand does put them, you know, maybe just want the first or second team out of a playoff spot if they do manage to get ties. And they will need to start whatever goalie is doing best for them. So I think it's Luongo by default. And I don't think it's all that worth your while to hold James Reimer. He is starting tonight. So we'll get to see what he does uh, and how that might impact whether he gets the next start or not. Another week of starts should definitely help us get a clearer picture. If you are desperate enough for goalie starts on your team that you need to hold a guy like James Reimer who has a chance to get more than half his team starts, then I guess you can hold him. 
Otherwise, you can probably leave him be until we see that Luongo may not be up to the job. I think he will be. And I, I think it's very unlikely, like you say, that Reimer's going to get half the starts. I'd be even happy as a Reimer owner if I was one to get half the starts. I feel like, you, like you say, you know, maybe one out of every three games. We'll see. We're going to talk about a bunch of other goalies on this episode that maybe are going to be more valuable to you than James Reimer moving forward, at least in the short term. So, okay, I said that Flores on this big winning streak. Of course, lots of goals are contributing to the streak. So let's take a look at who's helping fantasy owners or who's available in free agency that might be able to help you with all these Florida goals. So last week, we talked about Dadanov and his little slump he was in. And he listened to the show and he responded with four goals in his past three games. I'm not including today's game because it just started. But yeah, hashtag Team Dadanov in full force. Obviously, you need to have him. Hopefully, you've already listened to us many times and gotten him on your roster or unfortunately someone else did. Okay, then there's Barkov and Trocek. They're, of course, on fire. Nothing to say about them. No surprises. Let's look at the defense, though. Aaron Ekblad is on a six-game point streak. He has three goals and five assists in that span. So it's eight points in his last six games. And this is only with second power play time. He hasn't been even on the top unit. It's been Keith Yandel there. So with this pace he's on, he's up to 24 points in 55 games, which is kind of still only a 35-point pace. That kind of goes to show how poorly he was doing before, at least off Offensively, I'm curious to know, Brian, like, what's your take on Ekblad at this point? We talked about him a lot going into the season. I think you pretty much landed on him being a 35-point guy. That was your prediction for him. That's the pace he's on now. But with this current streak, it seems like he's going up. Do you think moving forward, is he potentially showing you that he could be more than just a 35-point guy, you know, not even a point every two games on average? Or do you think that this is an unsustainable run and we should expect him to cool down soon? Beyond just the run you've cited, Elon, it's actually been a good five, six weeks for Aaron Ekblad. 11 points in his last 13, of course, helped largely by the most recent five or six games. But beyond that, he was still producing reasonably. He's averaging just a shade over three shots per game in those five, six weeks, too. Six of Ekblad's 11 points have been goals. Three of those goals have come on the power play. And the thing is, is that that is not how I can rely on defensemen to get points. I'm not counting on them to score six times on 41 shots over a five, six week period. Oliver Ekman Larson would be like the one guy I sort of hope can do that, not Aaron Ekblad. So no, I still have Ekblad as a 35 point guy with big shot totals, which is great that they've come back because they had sort of disappeared, tapered off for a short while. In a keeper league, Ekblad does hold some upside in case he does find his way onto the top power play unit. But Keith Yandel is going to be his competition for another five years after this one and almost six and a half million per year for Keith Yandel. Doesn't sound like that's what the Panthers uh, were really hoping to do. Well, I mean, they did it. (laughs) Yeah, like, and it was just recently. Like, I think the contract started last season. So, uh, tall mountain to climb, sort of. Because on one hand, you've got Keith Yandel there, who is probably more qualified to be there, but they're also paying him a lot more. So you wonder if they'll ever be like, uh, we're going to put our $6.5 million defenseman not on the top power play. I don't know. I feel like if they're in a playoff run, they're going to go with what's going to help them win. Right now, obviously it's working. Whatever they're doing is working. They're winning a lot of games. You know, Aaron Ekblad isn't the only defenseman that's doing stuff on Florida. And no, I'm not only talking about Keith Yandel. There's another defenseman who actually might be available to you. Probably Ekblad is not. But what about Mike Matheson, Brian? He had two goals yesterday. He has five points in his last five games. And that's not included today. Again, and that includes by those five points of five games. That includes two power play assists from that second power play unit al- along with Ekblad. And I know you just said that maybe that's something that 
that you don't think is sustainable. But in general, like, what do you think about Mike Matheson as the third best defenseman on Florida? Normally, we don't go ahead and promote third defenseman on a team's depth chart as guys worth owning. But maybe there's an exception here. What do you think? Yeah, I guess I'll go like who else is really the competition in Florida to be the third best defenseman to own. And in fact, I would put Matheson at even odds with Aaron Ekblad and being the blue liner who gets a step to power play one if Yandel ever relinquishes that spot. The good thing about Matheson right now is that he's shooting a little more consistently lately, which is nice because he can get three or four shots in a game when he's at his best. Worth a stream for that reason, but don't expect these points to last. Okay, and then there's a couple more players that are doing well. We've already discussed Malgin and Bjugstad as two guys that are worth owning as complementary pieces on the first and second line alongside the, you know, the Dadanovs and the Barkovs and the Chocheks and the Huberdos. So take a look if Malgin or Bjugstad are available to you. They both have four points in their last five games, likely still in free agency. Lots of Florida Panthers potentially available to you to help you out if you think this run of success is going to continue. If you take a look, obviously now, by the way, with playoffs approaching, you've got to take a look at schedules. If next week is important, Florida plays only Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So keep that in mind. Make sure that you actually have room for them if you're going to add these guys for a short-term ad. Okay, next, Brian, let's go to the Rangers. Another outjury. Pavel Buchnevich returned for the Rangers yesterday versus Ottawa. He picked up an assist. Then he played again today, of course, against Philly. Got another assist in the 7-4 loss. So he's uh, two points in two games since he's returned. He was playing on a line with Grabner and JT Miller yesterday. But it looks like he got back on line one today at some point with Nash and Zabani. He was also on the top power play yesterday. There were actually no power plays today, so we can't really comment on what would have happened, but I assume he would have been there. You know, before Buchnevich's injury a couple weeks ago, he was on a run of seven points in his last seven games, so he's just continuing the hot run he was on before. Do you think that Buchnevich is like a must-own at this point if he happens to have been dropped, you know, when he got injured? Maybe whoever had him didn't have room in their IR. Like, right in our joint league, actually, Buchnevich is available. We have a lot of wingers. We actually need centers. So I'm not too excited about Buchnevich if he's only going to give us like an assist every once in a while. But if you think he's going to be point per game the rest of the way, obviously, we've got to add him. So, Brian, what do you think? And there's also the fact that the Rangers are falling apart, even if he's on line one with Nash and whoever. Like, Nash could be gone. Grabner could be gone. Even Ryan McDonough could be gone, like, by the time we record our next episode. So, does that make you less interested in Buchnevich? Or maybe you could say that makes you more interested because he's going to be one of the only good players left, like him and Zabanajad carrying the load offensively well don't forget chris Kreider could be returning soon although we don't know exactly what that means for the lineup the thing with pavel buchnevich is that he has only one shot in each of his two games since returning so thank goodness he's been able to put up a point in each of those games i don't know that buchnevich is a must own it probably depends on your league but i think in most setups someone who we can expect to put up a 55 point pace with some upside beyond that is definitely worth a long look. One of the really tough knocks on Buchnevich this season has not been his own skill set. He's been incredible, both in terms of defensive responsibility and offensive ability. It's been the fact that he's ended up in Alan Vigneault's doghouse for whatever reason, but there's really not much of a doghouse to be had. Any, like You need to have Buchnevich up in that top six if guys are being sent out of the lineup into other cities. So I th- could see that actually going well for him. If you want to know whether Buchnevich is someone you need to add, I guess you're also asking whether he can still keep contributing if it is just teams advantage that left on the top line with like, I don't know, I guess it would be Kreider, Grabner, VC after Rick Nash leaves. That could dent the upside part of things, but I think, or at least my hope that it means he at least gets to stay on the top line makes it a wash from worrying who the third piece on that top line might be. 
And of course, speaking about the Raiders, let's talk about Henrik Lundqvist. Like, what do we make of this guy at this point? He hasn't just been bad. He's been weak-destroyingly bad. He's been destroying the weeks and the chances of his owners. I'm so glad I only own him in one league. And in that league, somehow I'm still going to win this week. It's a weekly league in general, though. Oh, my gosh. Like, what can you do as a Henrik Lundqvist owner? He was in for all of the seven goals against today versus Philly. 37 shots. Only stopped 30 of them. He also got the hook yesterday against Ottawa after letting in five goals on 27 shots. He's only won two of his last 12 decisions. Like, okay, I know he's a good goalie. I'd imagine it's not all his fault. The Rangers are clearly not a very good team. But regardless, he is a fantasy asset that people need to decide what to do with. Do you expect him to provide any value to his fantasy owners moving forward at this point? Even with, like, now we're saying the Rangers might get even worse and get rid of more players so like, what's gonna like? What do you do with Henrik Lundqvist? Would it be crazy to just drop him at this point? I feel like he's hurting you more than he's helping you in most scenarios. Yeah, if you aren't getting help just from the fact that he's starting games, he's not offering you a whole lot of other numbers or benefits every time you throw him in net. Today, Lundqvist. Or I guess I should clarify. Sunday against the Flyers in the Goal Fest, Lundqvist didn't look so good on a couple goals. Like they were probably his fault. But the Flyers were also getting like endless rushes, odd men, no defensive support to be found. And that was just today's game. Uh, that was not an aberration from what has been happening for, well, I mean, some would say the last two weeks, some would say the last season, some would say the last decade. The Rangers defense has been suspect at best for a while now. And I've made this point before, but Hank can't keep bailing them out the way he always has. He sounded pretty awful in his post-game quotes, the sorts of things that someone says when you just hope they're at rock bottom, uh, but just don't know that there was a lot of hope in his comments either. It sounds like things are pretty bad in New York these days. I think Hank can still put some good games together, but would keep my expectations very, very conservative. Expect starts. I don't know that I can tell you to expect much more than that. So yeah, basically, if you're in a league, if I can read between the lines, Brian, a lot of people are in leagues where the only categories counted for goalies are like wins, save percentage, and goals against average, let's say. Like if you're only counting wins, you're not even getting value for his saves, and then it's rate stats, it seems to me like you're saying that you don't think Henrik Lundqvist has any value. Yeah, I mean, of course, it depends on what who your other goalies are and what the situation is in your league, how scarce goalies are. But he's not... A, like, look, he can... I think what I'm trying to say is he's going to have to do it himself if he wants to put up good numbers. And he's still capable of that, but not the way, as we've said countless times, that he has been in the past. So expect inconsistency. You can hope that he's going to put in a good start. Like, if you want to spot him, then go for it. But yeah, it's not a very good outlook uh, compared to what you would hope for from peak Lundqvist or even Lundqvist from three months ago. We seem to be in a really rough spot in Rangers land right now. Yeah, and we actually have a couple other goalies. I'm going to diverge from outjuries for a little bit. Let's talk about some other goalies who are letting their owners down, goalies that we expect to be really good. And actually, Lungfist, we didn't even expect to be that great this year. Then he sort of rose our expectations with such a good run, like you said, like three months ago. Right now, obviously, he's not doing as badly as we thought he would be. So I guess, I don't know, it all evens out in a bad way. But okay, let's go to some other goalies. Here's a goalie who I'll bet most people are just assuming has been doing fine if they don't actually own him, or at least I have. Like, But I just realized that Braden Holtby hasn't been very good this year. He's He's now lost three games in a row, letting in six, four, and five goals in those games. And at this point, 
Braden Holby, the guy who we put in tier one at the start of the season, one of the top goalies to own. We said super reliable, can't go wrong. He only has a 9-11 save percentage on the season. That must be below average. And he has an 8-94 save percentage in the last month. So it's only getting worse. He was supposed to be our reliable guy. You were supposed to be the chosen one, Braden Holby. We also had Carey Price in tier one. We we messed this whole thing up. We'll talk about Price in a little bit, but let's talk about Braden Holby. And like the one saving grace is I guess you don't have to worry too much about Philip Grubauer stealing his job because he hasn't been like that much better. He's been a little better. He has a 914 save percentage on the season compared to Holby's 911. And Grubauer has a 907 save percentage over the last month compared to Holby's 894. So it's not looking like Grubauer is like a super strong contender to steal the job it's not as if he's been lights out and Holpe's been terrible but still like what is up with Braden Holpe do you think that he'll be able to bounce back down the stretch or will he just become another of the many examples of why I always like to advise to never draft a goalie too early it seems like too much of a risky play okay well regardless of what I'm about to say about Holpe yeah this is the reason why with Lungfist was doing so well earlier this year when we'd all written him off you probably got him late you were probably feeling good about it but we do often say be careful about drafting a goalie in the earlier rounds. They're more dependable, more consistent players that you can get. And there are more goalie uh, random great performances to be found later in your draft. But going back to Holtby specifically, I'm not sure anything is actually up with him. You did mention his numbers, Elon, and they are bad. They are below league average. But I don't think it's him. I think it's the caps. You take a look at Braden Holtby's goal saved above average numbers and you see that he's actually in the black there that he saved more goals than the average NHL goalie would have in his position Holtby is also outplaying his expected save percentage at even strength not by a large margin but it's impressive that he's doing so at all since his even strength expected save percentage what we should expect him to be able to do based on how like what the shots are that he's facing the context of them it's the lowest it's ever been, which to be absolutely clear means that our expectation for Holtby's performance is as low as it's ever been because of how the team in front of him is playing. This year's expected save percentage for Holtby is 919 when it hasn't ever been below 925 in the other five years of his career to date. And again, this reflects the team in front of him, not him. That number is also reflected in the Capitals' even strength expected goals against per 60, which is up at 2.7 goals per game at even strength, which is more than a half goal jump over last year's number, which was the high watermark already for the Caps since the last lockout. So again, not sure that anything's wrong with Braden Holtby. He's been doing what he normally does and being up to the task of saving his team a few goals, making some stops he shouldn't be expected to, playing above the expected save percentage that you'd expect him to have, But his team is leaving him exposed more often. Whether that continues to be the trend is going to determine how the rest of his season goes. And I'm going to say that it's fairly likely that that trend continues. Washington is not looking so strong this year in expected goals or shot attempt share and are in a particularly bad funk at the moment, which is why maybe he's gotten blown up several times in the last week. So maybe it won't be this bad. But I don't know that you can expect him to post a 920 save percentage when the team in front of him has been doing a worse job than they ever have at suppressing shots and quality chances. Well, that is depressing if you're a Caps fan or if you own Braden Holtby. Not much you could do about it. It's like you're not going to drop him. He's still not at that level, unlike maybe another goalie we'll talk about soon. But since we're on the Caps, a couple quick hits before we move on. And hits is the opportune word because I want to talk about Tom Wilson, who's on a three-game point streak, which includes one goal yesterday and two goals and one assist the game before. 
And yeah, he's putting up a ton of hits, which is the reason why you would normally even consider owning Tom Wilson. He had six hits yesterday. Also, he's getting a ton of penalties. Only three of his last 10 games have had him not get a penalty. Most of the games, he's getting at least two minutes, 12 minutes last time. We don't talk about Pims too often on the show. We're not a big fan of that category. But if you're playing in a league with Pims, you could get Tom Wilson, who's giving you hits. He's giving you Pims. And he's currently on the top line with Ovechkin and Backstrom. And like I said, he's on a three-game point streak. So who knows how long it'll last in terms of the line combinations. The Caps were destroyed by Chicago yesterday. Maybe things are going to get shaken up. But I feel like as long as Tom Wilson is on that top line, I feel like he's got to be owned if your league counts hits and penalty minutes just because there's also that potential for points on that top line yeah you can add tom wilson for now and then drop him he should be out of your lineup as soon as he's out of that top line off of that top line would be more grammatically correct okay (laughs) gotta keep yourself in check there brian and on the other side of players doing well i guess we already talked about hopi but along with hopi we've got tj oshi who's pointless in four he only has 32 points in 52 games on the season which is just a 50 point pace that's definitely a lot less than people were expecting a lot worse than he did last year brian you told us this would happen right so we don't really need to talk too much about this no i mean me and everyone else who's paying close enough attention to know that it would happen yeah uh, unfortunately his power play goal scoring has also fallen off but Oshi does have 12 shots in his last four games that's nice but his current point pace seems pretty reasonable sadly so don't think he's just in a funk try and get used to this if you're a TJ Oshi owner maybe we'll I don't know if we're at the point of asking like if you should drop him obviously depends who's available how deep your league is if you are a TJ Oshi owner I'd be interested to know who's your top free agents available tweet at us at keeping Carlson let us know if there's maybe an opportunity to make a swap like if you had like a Dadanov for Oshi like I would do that in a second if you could do that probably you can't I don't know there were people that had Dadanov available very recently I don't know why I keep talking about him I guess I really like him Brian you know what else I really like I like the fact that hockey right now is more exciting than it has been all season long because the games are finally having playoff implications. You know, like like every point really matters. Like we said, the Florida Panthers, they're in this exciting race with so many other teams. So now is the time to go and see a game live. And if you want to do that, why not use our sponsor for this week's episode to get your tickets? Those are our friends over at SeatGeek. Okay, SeatGeek, they're a fantastic site and app. You know how it is. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. They save you time and money. They search multiple ticket sites to compare prices. They find you amazing deals to get the most bang for your buck. SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And, you know, not only is it exciting to see a team in a playoff race, we're also going to have the trade deadline soon. So you're going to be seeing potentially players in new outfits. And, you know, I guess outfits isn't the right word for a hockey player. What do we call it? Uniforms? <laughs> I don't know. Jerseys? It's, it's fun. So why not check out a game? And if you think, oh, it's a bit expensive, I wish it was like, I don't know, say $15, $20 cheaper. Have we got a deal for you? Yeah, especially if you want it to be $20 cheaper and you listen to our show and it's your first SeatGeek purchase because all you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING, and you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code KEEPING, like what you do to Carlson if you own him. All right, so Brian, let's get back on track here. We were talking about outjuries. Then I did a bit of a diversion to talk about goalies who are disappointing us. And I'm still actually on that sort of very far off road. And I'm going to stay there because I got to ask you one more time about Carey Price. I know I promised I'm not going to ask you anymore if Carey Price is a tier one guy. So don't worry. I'm definitely not going to ask you that. I have a new question for you. 
is Price like even worth owning at all anymore in a somewhat shallow one-year league? I guess this is similar to the Lundqvist question. Like, if you're not just getting value for starts, what do you do with Carey Price? We have people on our Facebook group talking about having Ranta available in their leagues and deciding whether to drop Varlamov or Hutton for him. There was actually a specific patron that I'm referring to. You know who you are. But yeah, it makes me wonder if the Price owner should be swooping in and swapping him for anti-Ranta before our patron does. Because honestly, I kind of feel like I'd prefer anti-Ranta right now. So, okay, let's look at exactly what Price has been doing lately. He's lost four starts in a row. He relieved Niemi yesterday to let in three goals on 28 shots versus Vegas. He lost to Ranta and the Coyotes the game before, letting in five goals on 21 shots. He has an 891 save percentage over the past month. He only has a 904 save percentage on the season. And meanwhile, just I'm just saying this for comparison's sake, just because anti Ranta is one of these goalies that might still be available for you in free agency if it's a somewhat shallow league. Like So Ranta has won three starts in a row. He's currently on fire after shutting out Edmonton yesterday. He has a 941 save percentage in his last seven starts. He's up to a 924 save percentage on the season. Again, compared to 904 for Carey Price, it's a huge difference. So... Brian, like, I'm not just saying this to be controversial here. I'm not just trying to get clicks or downloads or whatever. And I guess once you've heard this, you've already downloaded it. So I don't even know how that would work. I'm dead serious. Who would you want rest of the season? I personally, I'd prefer anti-Ranta. I think the clickbait headline for this would be, you won't believe who Carey Price owners are dropping him for. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Okay, we've got our episode title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, I'll do some obscure music reference. Oh. So uh, enjoy that. Carey Price in a one-year league versus anti-Ranta, I am probably going to take, how about this for a cop-out, the guy with the better schedule. And what if they have the same schedule? If they have the same schedule, okay. Well, first off, let's just mention, Carey Price has yet to string together more than three consecutive good starts, and even that, he's only managed to do twice. Of course, he's managed to string together more horrible starts consecutively. So I get the point you're trying to make here. I will also add that despite Ranta's recent heroics, the Habs have looked better as a team over the last couple of weeks in terms of shot attempt share and expected goals. You know, the things that would help a goalie get the win. The Habs are doing more of those than the Coyotes are. So I'm actually, if they're in the same week, like exact same schedule, I'm still leaning a little bit towards Carey Price. But I will also completely acknowledge that if you presented me the exact same data and said like Carter Hutton or Jonathan Bernier or whoever, instead of price drop that guy for Ranta, I would probably be saying anti Ranta. I'd still give price a little more credit because of who he is or rather who he has been. And that's to my detriment, but it doesn't have to be yours. You have my support. If this is something you want to do. Yeah, who he has been, who he was, who he hopefully will be again, but who knows? Like, the thing is, you say that the Habs are playing better as a team, but, like, Antti Verandal's playing better as a goalie. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe Carey Price has some lingering injury issues. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. I don't want any part of him on any of my fantasy teams. That's all I know. And, Brian, I don't want to leave all the Habs fans. Like, I know Matthew is here in the chat room. I don't want to leave you Habs fans disappointed and depressed about the situation in Nets. So why don't we talk about something happy, which is the resurgence of Brendan Gallagher. He's been so good this year. He, and lately, especially, he has three goals and four assists in his last seven games. 24 shots in that span, so over three shots per game, which is fantastic. Four of the seven points that he's put up in these last seven games have been on the top power play, where, if you recall, he wasn't even on the top power play for a lot of the season. But he's there with patches and Gouch. I'm, I'm going to talk like I'm a player in the locker room, like Patches and Gouch and Drewy and Petery. I don't know. I don't know what the Petri, Jeff Petrie's nickname would be. I'd be curious to know if there's any Habs fans out there that have listened to interviews. What I, Peters? I don't know. Anyway, he's on a really good top power play unit. He's playing Jeffer. well. Jeffer. 
Jeffer. <laughs> so let me ask you another controversial question, maybe even more controversial than Price versus Ranta. I don't know. Uh, is Brendan Gallagher the best Hab to own right now? at least in terms of forwards and I guess including defense, whatever. Like, I mean, he's out pointing and out shooting Pacioretty lately. And he actually only has one less point than Pacioretty on the season and 10 fewer shots than Pacioretty. So he's catching up quickly to be ahead of patches overall. Brendan Gallagher kind of looking like the better option right now. Pacioretty is not doing himself or his owners any favors either to delegitimize your statement, Elon, that Gallagher is the best have to own. Pacioretty has just 11 shots in his last seven games. What's with that? So by all of our usual measures, yeah, I'll agree that Brendan Gallagher has been the best Habs zone of the last couple of weeks. I don't know if that automatically means he'll be the best Habs zone of the next couple of weeks. And by saying that, I'm saying, I don't know that I would drop Max Pacioretty for Gallagher if I'm working out how the next couple of weeks or month in my league is going to go. But it's certainly worth pointing out both how good Gallagher has been and how bad the rest of the Habs have been. Though how about Galcher over there? Six assists in his last seven games with four power play points. Petrie also with four power play points, three goals, two assists, and almost three shots per game in the same span. So I actually might have Petrie ahead of Gallagher, but I will go Gallagher as the best Habs forward to have owned for the last couple of weeks. Be careful if you're thinking that he's automatically going to be better than Pacioretty the rest of the way. Okay, so, I mean, yeah, I could have told you who was the best to have to have owned. Uh, but yeah, you're saying you think it's like even? Like, what's your sense? I guess in the end, you're probably not going to suggest for people to drop Pacioretty, but definitely Gallagher is looking good. Doesn't seem like you're finding anything especially wrong in his numbers that he shouldn't be able to keep up somewhat. He's not going to be a point-per-game player, of course. Also, did you say Galcher for Galchenyuk? Yeah, Galchi. Well, I don't know. I, we got corrected in the chat room. Matthew said, I said Galch, and then Matthew said, it's Chucky. Chucky. You should have known that. Chuckers. And chuckers. What a chucker. That was what uh, Pete Hernandez called George Costanza on Seinfeld. No, Keith Hernandez. Sorry. Got Do you know? On, I got Pete on my mind with Pete Jensen. <laughs> I, I, I was having a conversation with someone uh, earlier this week, and they, they opened it by, do you remember when that guy in Seinfeld said, uh, you know, like, like the smaller guy who's kind of chubby? I'm like, George? He's like, yeah, George. I'm like, how do you not name one of the four Seinfeld main characters to begin an anecdote? I don't even remember the rest of the story. Oh, uh, that would have been a better story if you would have had more <laughs> of it to tell. But I guess, by the way, if you guys want a preview of what our last patron cast was like, which was a lot of fun, that was pretty much it. It was Brian building up exciting stories, then having no punchline. But they were somewhat well-told stories, I guess. No, okay. they weren't. No, they weren't. Okay. So no, that's if, you really, if you really want to get a taste of what the what last patron cast sounded like, just take that seven-second clip, play it over and over for three minutes, and then just turn off whatever device you're listening on. Okay, so basically we're saying that you shouldn't sign up to be a patron. I don't know. Some of the patrons said they enjoyed the last patron cast. I guess we kind of went off the rails. If you want an extra 90 minutes of fantasy hockey talk or more like 60 minutes of fantasy hockey talk than 30 minutes of Brian and I losing our minds, then you could sign up to be a patron and get the show we did last Wednesday. I also did a weird rant about... Uh, anyways, let's, let's not get into that. Let's get back to... Okay, forget about goalies. Let's get back to outries. Nathan McKinnon is back. Woo! McKinnon is back. And he played today for the Avalanche against Edmonton. He didn't do too much, unfortunately. He got no points. He did take four shots. So he was there. He played 22 minutes. Seems like he's fully healthy. 
And now we get to take a look at the Avalanche. Like, I don't really know what to ask about McKinnon. He's amazing. I don't really read anything into the fact that he didn't get any points today. He's not going to get points every single game. I'm sure he'll get two points in the next game to make up for it. Also on the Avalanche, Jonathan Bernier has a concussion. So I don't exactly know how long he'll be out. We haven't heard any specifics. But he probably should have been dropped anyways in most leagues. Or maybe, I don't know, like Varlamov versus Bernie has been a discussion we've been having at this point. Obviously, you want to have Varlamov if you're interested in having Avalanche goalies. Like, it's too bad Varlamov didn't have a great game today. And we'll see how things go moving forward. But you'd have to think with Nathan McKinnon back, it's probably worthwhile to have the Avalanche goalie. I actually dropped Varlamov in the cupful, Brian. And we'll see if that comes to bite me next week. I'm rolling only one goalie. I'm just going Jonathan Quick next week. I'm going to see how it goes. We only count wins and save percentage. So I'm saying, all right, forget about wins. Give me, give me a good save percentage, hopefully. Okay, Colorado, by the way, next week they have a tough schedule of road games through Western Canada. So, I mean, on one hand, it's tough because they're playing these road games. On the other hand, they're playing like Edmonton and Vancouver. So we'll have to see how tough these games really are for them. I don't really have a question to you about goalies, so I'm just rambling. So let me ask you about an avalanche player that I do have a question about, and that's Eric Johnson. Should people be worried about him? Right, I have him on my Cuckoo team. I'm a little worried. He's been having such a solid season. Like, he started cold, I remember, and I felt so smug being all, you know, he'll be fine. He's on the ice for lots of goals. He's getting so many shots. He's he's clearly going to break out soon, and he really did, and he's been so solid for such a long time. But all of a sudden, he's pointless in eight games, and that was before today, another pointless game today. He's also not taking as many shots. He's not blocking as much as he did before. So what What's going on with Eric Johnson at this point? Eric Johnson, well, first off, he lost a bunch of power play minutes once Tyson Barry returned to the lineup, which is definitely eating into his ability to put up points. The thing is, Johnson is also playing with Tyson Barry to even strengths, which you think would help him put up points too, but I think it's actually just eating into how many shots he gets to take, and it also is definitely eating into Johnson's shot attempt share, where he's been flatlined since just before Barry came back. He's in his biggest funk of the season in terms of shot attempt share over the last couple of weeks that should actually be helping in blocks though. So I can't explain why they have disappeared for you unless maybe he's playing through an injury, which is total speculation and conjecture that we have nothing to substantiate with. Uh, I'm not so alarmed by Eric Johnson's eight games without points though. Like the blocks I'm more worried about. Johnson has had a couple similar droughts this season. You should really only be expecting a few points per every eight games. Anyway, if you have him, you're hoping for a few shots and a couple blocks on most nights. And if he's not doing that for another week, then he's probably not helping you at all. And in well, that case... Yeah, Brian, I'll even interrupt you. Okay, finish. In that case, yeah, like in that case, drop him, right? But unfortunately... Yeah, what did he do today? Unfortunately, he's injured, apparently. It's a good thing we do this show live, so we have the chat room to help us out. Apparently, he left the game today. I'm seeing some tweets saying they lost Johnson, could be out a while. I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing this now in real time as you were talking. So I guess that changes that. That's actually probably worse for Semyon Varlamov because Johnson was still playing a lot of minutes. That hurts the Colorado defense. And if Eric Johnson's injured, that means I got to figure something out for the couple teams that I have him on. Uh, well, if I was wondering if I should hold on to him, at least now I don't have to worry about making that decision stash him figure it out uh who is this help who does this hurt i don't know i'm trying to think of a hot take here if you're saying that johnson wasn't even getting big power play time anymore because it's been tyson barry and gerard then i guess uh i don't know probably bad for varlamov and no one else i don't know do you want to say anything about the eric johnson injury which we're just learning about or should we just move on well no i'm curious if it was like a clear injury or if it was an aggravation of whatever we just maybe suggested with no actual substantiation so this is a. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I hope he gets better soon is all I hope for Eric Johnson. Oh, man. Brian, this is hard. Fantasy hockey is so hard. I come up with a plan and it's all blowing up in my face. 
I have to tell you, I am not that mad because I dropped Eric Johnson like a month into the season around the same time you were dropping and adding him a whole bunch. And I've been kicking myself all year for it and being like, I could really have used him come playoffs time. Now that I'm comfortably in the cupful playoffs, if he's out for a bunch of it, I don't have to feel bad about my decision anymore. Wow, Brian, I never realized you're such a bad person. Eric Johnson is a human being who's probably in a lot of pain right now. And you're taking glee in this? I wish him the best. Doesn't sound like it. Okay, let's go now to some injuries. I guess we've already started that with Eric Johnson. Let's talk about a few others. This is one that might not be too serious. We spent a bit of time actually on Wednesday's Patreon cast when we weren't going totally off the rails. We talked a bit about Ryan Kessler. We were having a good debate about who we would rather own between him and Adam Henrique. There's been more evidence that Henrique is the one to own lately, and we'll get to him in a second. Actually, it looks like Kessler has a lower body injury. He was held out of yesterday's game. I wonder if this lower body injury has been hurting him this whole time because he's not been playing like the Ryan Kessler of last year. He only has eight points in 22 games on the year. I feel like this is a good opportunity to stash him on IR+. Plus. Like I read that Kessler is skating with the team and he might even play tomorrow versus Vegas. But if it was me and I didn't want to drop him completely, I would definitely keep Ryan Kessler in my IR, make all my moves I need to make before I get locked and then hold on for a bit, or maybe just drop him. Like, I'm curious, like, what do you think about Ryan Kessler this year? I feel like I wouldn't want him on my roster right now in most formats. I know I wrote that on Facebook, then a bunch of people replied, like, what if your league counts hits? What if your league counts face-offs? So, I mean, yeah, but the reason why Ryan Kessler's good in those leagues is because he gives you those hits and those face-offs along with a whole bunch of points and along with a whole bunch of power play points, but he hasn't been on the top power play. So now you just have to compare him to any like schlub center who gets some hits and wins some faceoffs. Like I'm not saying he's worth nothing in leagues like that, but in most formats, I'm finding it really hard to find a reason to hold on to him. Even if he's healthy, you know, he's on this line with Cogliano and Silverberg, which isn't the line it used to be. And he's not on the top power play anymore. He's been bumped by Henrique. So I really don't see a reason to wait for Ryan Kessler this late into the season. I mean, you could wait for him if you can keep him safely on your roster in an inactive or IR plus spot or whatever, while whatever issue is being worked out. But he certainly was not worth a whole lot. His value is, you know, even if he does score at a half point per game pace, I think the amount of hits and faceoffs, if your league counts, those still makes him worth a spot on your roster. I get that, but it's been a very disappointing turn from him. I wonder if he was fully healthy. Yeah, so maybe we'll see how long he's out. I mean, I don't know. This isn't too much of a break. I was going to say, like, maybe this break will help him recuperate a little bit. But I mean, what? He's missed one game. So we'll see what happens. And Brian, yeah, speaking of Jacob Silverberg, Kessler's line mate, he's also been a huge snoozer. And we actually discussed him also on the patron cast. We're giving little hints of that patron cast throughout this show, but still, still worth a listen. Anyway, so Silverberg, he's pointless in six, hardly taking any shots. He's not on the top power play, playing with Kessler and Cogliano. Is there any reason to hold on to Jacob Silverberg? I feel like he's another guy that should be dropsville at this point. Dropsville for Silverberg. No reason to hold on to him. Just one point in his last nine games. And like you said, shots, which have always been Jacob Silverberg's raison d'etre. Even when producing barely over a half point per game, you could count on those shots. Uh, They've disappeared as well. He's taken more than two shots only four times in his last 26 games when Silverberg has been good for two and a half and almost three shots per game over the last three years. So that is something that you absolutely do not have to tolerate. You should get somebody else who is at least taking shots, even if they're scoring the same amount of points as Silverberg, which is like none. 
Right, yeah, there's a lot of players in the league scoring the same amount of points as Silverberg lately. And by the way, Brian, I think that's another potential episode title. Raison d'être it would be nice and generic, and no one would really know that it's referring to Jacob Silverberg's reason, uh, his shot totals normally, until they listen to the episodes. That might be a fun Easter egg. I don't know, just an idea if you don't want to always give us these obscure music references of songs we don't care about. Right, just, just throwing it out there. Okay, so let's give some good news for Anaheim. There's a lot of players who I'd much prefer to own right now than Kessler or Silverberg, specifically the players on the second line or third line, whatever you want to call it, the line of Adam Henrique, Andre Kasha, and Nick Ritchie. They are looking so good. Henrique has five points in his last four games, and only one of those points is on the power play, even though he's been on the top power play, which I guess is a good thing. It means maybe he's even going to be in line for some more, because it's a good-looking top power play. A lot of good players there. You'd think they're going to be able to help Henrique get some points there as well. Then Kasha, he had a goal yesterday. He had a goal and two assists against Chicago on Thursday. That brings him to nine points in his last seven games. He has 26 shots in that span, so that's great. Then even Nick Ritchie, he has five points in his last four games, along with a boatload of hits. So if your league counts hits, why are you holding Ryan Kessler when you could have Nick Ritchie, who's also giving you points? So what do you think about this line in general? Anything sustainable here? Anyone that you like more than anyone else? Obviously, Henrique is probably the best one. He might not be available in your league, and I would like him the best for points because he's on the top power play. Kirsten, what do you think of like Kasha and Richie? Like, especially Kasha, like who is not on the top power play, but producing like crazy. Any reason to expect him to keep this up somewhat? Or do you think this is completely unsustainable? I also like Adam Henrique of everybody on the line. He's also like the most boring because he seems to do like pretty well for a while. And then he goes quiet. There's that limited upside there. He's also let us down. Like remember in his rookie season or his sophomore, I don't have the numbers up right now, but he he seemed really great. Like he was going to be a 60 point center and he had the talent. And then in New Jersey was the same thing, especially when Taylor Hall got there and it just never materialized. Uh, So it's nice to see him produce, but I don't get my hopes up too high for him. That said, he's probably the best ad of the three. Andre Kasha is the guy I want next. Elon, is what he's doing sustainable? Was your question? Well, he has scored five goals on his last 24 shots. The obvious headline for Kasha there in those numbers is that that gives him a high shooting percentage, right? Scoring in more than one out of every five shots he takes, and that's not going to last. But don't let that overshadow the fact that Kasha has 24 shots over his last seven outings, including 14 shots in his last three games. If he can keep that up, then he's the new Silverberg, right? Not super exciting upside, but who cares if he's filling your shots on goal cat each week and throwing in points here and there. I hear you, man. And I added him in like a couple. And I hope that what you say will continue. I would just love to get some shots on goal. That'd be nice. By the way, an update on some players we talked about earlier. Florida scored a power play goal. Malgin from Bjugstad and Matheson. So these like secondary Florida players keep on uh, producing. Very, very interesting stuff in Florida. It'll be interesting to see if they're going to be able to beat Winnipeg on the road today. That would be huge for them and huge for James Reimer. Okay, but let's keep going with our injuries. Let's go to Philly. And last week, We talked about Brian Elliott being injured. We didn't know how long he'd be out. News came out after we recorded our episode that Elliott was going to be out a long time. He's going to miss five to six weeks. He underwent a core muscle surgery. So he's gone. Then I'm sure Brian's happy about that for some reason. But I feel very bad for Brian Elliott, who's home recuperating from his surgery. Get well soon, Brian Elliott. Well, Brian, same name as you. That's fun. Okay. Then in today's game, McCall Neuverth, totally McCall Neuverth, and got injured himself. He went down with a lower body injury. That was after he let in three goals on 14 shots. So he was already 
uh, you know, not doing a good job taking over. And now he's injured. He gets injured all the time. So when we discussed the Elliott injury last week, I feel like you seemed pretty uncertain about if Neuwirth could even hold the job or if he would like, you know, lose it potentially to Alex Lyon or maybe if Alex Lyon, is it Leon or Lyon? I don't know. Our listeners can let us know. But I was wondering if Lyon could maybe steal the job. You said maybe he could. And now I guess it's Alex Lyon's net. Like unless Philly makes a trade, they have this guy Carter Hart. I, I searched on Twitter. It looks like they can't call him up even if they want. So they're stuck with Alex Lyon in the short term unless they make a trade. He did well today. He stopped 25 to 26 shots in relief of Neuwirth after Neuwirth went down and they got the win. How quick would you be to jump on Lyon at this point if he's available? I'm sure he is available in your league unless you have snipers that grab goalies out of free agency as soon as an injury happens. Like how confident are you, first of all, that he can hold this job or do you think that Philly's just going to trade for another goalie the next week? And if he does hold the job, how good do you think he could be? Well, first off, congratulations on covering your bases by pronouncing Alex Lyon's last name as many possible ways as you could. I'm just going to go with Lyon, and it looks like he could hold the job. It seemed like there was some foreshadowing to this happening about a week or two ago when the Flyers started Lyon ahead of Neuwirth, even after Lyon had just botched a start pretty badly, and they could have definitely just gone back to Neuwirth. I have no idea if Alex Lyon is like worthy of a number one job, but with Neuwirth being Neuwirth and injured, it seems as though right now it is Lyon's job to lose. One thing to note about whether he's allowed or how much rope he gets in this position with Philadelphia is that Philadelphia is currently ranked third in the Metro division, the incredibly competitive Metro division, and they presently hold a seven-point cushion between where they're at now and where they'd have to fall to be out of the playoffs. So I kind of feel like the Flyers might have another goalie on their shopping list if they'd like to consider themselves actual contenders. Of course, with Neuwirth out, with Elliott out, you wonder if other teams are really going to try and put the squeeze on them now. To I heard that they were, I, I don't know, Elon, I don't remember where I read this, but I heard that they turned down Mrazek for a third round pick. This was in the last week or so, which is just so ridiculous if it's true. I must be missing a key detailer. It must have just been a total garbage rumor. Anyway, I guess we'll see what Alex Lyon can do now. If you're someone who like ran with Jeff Glass or Anton Forsberg, this seems like a pretty similar ad to make. If you're trying to decide whether he's good for your fantasy team, you hope that the team in front of him can keep doing well and that he can just play like average or slightly below average well enough to get a bunch of wins and a reasonable save percentage that does not destroy your week. Well, yeah, I mean, Philly won today, seven to four. They're not going to play Henrik Lundqvist and the Rangers every day. But yeah, obviously they're going to give him a chance to win. We'll see. People in the chat room here seem to be expecting that the Flyers are going to trade. Chris is saying Flyers might be in on Leonard or Mrazek, though, if what Brian saw is true. Maybe, you know, Philly's going to try to get Mrazek for a fourth round pick instead of a third round pick. Maybe they could put the squeeze the other direction. I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to keep track. Let's not speculate too much about trades. So, Brian, you know who's really good on Philly? And I know we've brought him up a bunch on the show, but we got to say it again. Travis Konechny. Holy cow. And, you know, I'm getting flashbacks. I, I feel bad. Like, at the start of the year, when Sean Couturier was on line one, and he was doing really well, and I'm pretty sure we said on the podcast, like, this is good. Let's see if it lasts, like, before we totally buy on buy in on him being able to continue with this hot run. And then by the time we realized, oh, yeah, Sean Couturier is fantastic. He was probably owned in all leagues. Like, only the people who I hope that, like, I think we probably said, like, you should grab him if you can. Don't necessarily expect it to continue. And so getting deja vu right now about Travis Konechny, right? Like, I feel like we saw that he was on the top line 
line. It was like, yeah, grab him if you have a spot. Who knows if this will continue? At this point, I feel like, yeah, this is an official thing. Like, Travis Konechny is on the top line with Giroux and Couturier, and he is killing it with his one goal and two assists today. He's up to 18 points in his last 15 games. This is from a 20-year-old. It's, it's, it's insane. And we had a question on Facebook recently from Jesse asking – it, uh, about Konechny versus Max Domi in a keeper league. And he's not contending this year. So he was saying like long-term in a couple of years, who would you want more? And I feel like my gut said, and obviously I'm not a big prospects guy. I don't know about like what the scouting reports have been and what's the super long-term upside. But I feel like Konechny must be the easy choice now, right? He's younger and he's actually producing. And people were saying he was good. Like I remember going into last season when he was a rookie, there was a lot of hype about him. And I guess he kind of disappointed, but right now he's killing it. So it's got to be Konechny over Max Domi, right? Yeah, I, it's a hard one to answer because you just don't know where each guy is going to play next year. Konechny, you can definitely connect how well he's doing with the moment he stepped onto that top line. In fact, he's tied for 16th in all NHL scoring since December 28th, which is the closest I can narrow down the date for when he like was definitely on that top line and when he scored his first point as part of that top line. Uh, Konechny is one point shy of Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall since December 28th, although Taylor Hall has missed some time. And Konechny is actually ahead of Connor McDavid and Steven Stamkos in scoring since December 28th. And that is without any power play time at all, or almost at all. He has one power play point. So you look at just five-on-five five scoring, and Travis Konechny is leading the league in scoring since December 28th, 23 points in 23 games, just ahead of guys like Johnny Goudreau, Couturier, Malkin, Marcheseau, Crosby. So it's hard to turn him down as a keeper candidate if he does get to hold on the top line. But remember, he wasn't doing anything before he got there. He's still not getting power play time. So there are a couple things that I'm worried about I'm so confused about Max Delmi still. I'm wondering what's going to come out in the offseason. I don't think he's playing injured. I wonder if he's not a fit for the team, not a fit for the coach. Not sure what's going on there. I still think he might have the better upside. I'm talking about Domi now. But based on their absolute current situation, how can you say no to Konechny? Yeah, and who really cares what he was doing not on the first line? The Phillies winning games. I guess anything could happen. And, you know, we've said this before. We were, like, obsessed with Nemesnikov for a while. And it seemed like, how could he ever lose his spot on the top line? And now here we are. It's, like, tough to decide whether you should hold on to Nemesnikov or not. So he could get Nemesnikov'd. But at the same time, clearly Philly is successful with Konechny. And it's also working for them that they're able to spread around their offense a little bit. Because with Konechny on line one with Giroud and Couturier, that means they've got Wayne Simmons with Voracek and Nolan Patrick on line two. And Brian, I was going to also ask you, uh, you know, if it's hard to look at two different teams like this and go Konechny versus Domi, how about like Konechny versus a guy like Nolan Patrick, who was drafted number two overall this season? Like I said, he's playing on line two with Simmons and Voracek. He had an assist versus Columbus on Friday and he scored a goal today. Obviously this season, you got to go Konechny. But long term, I don't know. I know we're not really big prospects guys, but overall, do you get a sense of who's the best prospect between those two? I would still think it's Nolan Patrick. I honestly would. I know that feels like a crazy thing to say, but just I need to see Konechny produce not in such a great situation. Also, for keeper implications, Jerome Voracek are probably doing better than they should be this year. It's It's been great to see them have a revival after la- like three consecutive years of decline for both of them, but they're not so young they're not going to they're not going to be this amazing forever I mean Couturier is there which is great uh, so maybe those two if they can stay paired together things work out for Konechny 
there's just too much unknown for what happens if he is not part of that top unit. So I think I would prefer Nolan Patrick. And if you own him in a keeper league, maybe this is a time to sell really high on him. Maybe you do want to try and get Nolan Patrick or even Max Domi and a bunch of assets to go with it. Right. Yeah. You're saying that Konechny's value might be at its highest. It's going to be for a long time. So you might as well cash in if you can, but don't, you know, don't sell yourself short. Make sure you get a really good package back for a guy who, like you said, is leading the NHL and even strength points over the past month or so. Okay. Let's move on now to some trades and rosters. And by the way, all these conversations about like long-term value, that's what the summer series is for. After this season is over, we're going to have a whole summer to look back on the season and how players did and see like, Oh, was what Konechny did something that could be sustainable next year. You know, we'll look back on the whole season. Right now, obviously, for the rest of this season, for your fantasy playoffs, Konechny's great. Nolan Patrick, in a pretty good situation also. If you're in a deeper league and Patrick's available, maybe take a look. Okay, let's go to some trades and roster moves that have happened. So a big trade, Brian, well, big, in quotes. The only trade that's somewhat worth talking about in the past little while is Ottawa and LA. They swapped a couple of overpaid players in Marion Gabrick and Dion Phaneuf. There were some other players involved, but we're not a news show. Okay, I don't need to tell you. Uh, the fantasy relevant people were Marion Gabrick and Dion Phaneuf. I don't know why I got very aggressive there. Sorry about that, everyone. Okay, so are there any fantasy implications here? So we've got Dion Phaneuf. He scored a power play goal in his first games with the Kings, and he's been getting second unit power play time. He had no points versus Buffalo yesterday, so now that's one goal in two games. Though yesterday, he was plus two, and he threw four hits, by the way, for Lee Counts hits. Though the downside is he only played 14 minutes and 18 seconds. So definitely a big reduction in ice time for Phaneuf compared to what he was getting in Ottawa. He's up to 17 points in 55 games on the season. That's a 25-point pace. Do you see any reason to expect anything different on LA versus what he was doing in Ottawa? It can't be good that his ice time takes such a big hit, but, you know, I don't know. Maybe a different situation could help him, or do you see him as just like a 25-point guy moving forward the rest of the way? Yeah, I don't really have much of a change in expectation for Dion Phaneuf. Probably the same outlook for him as before, minus some ice time if he can't get the same top four-like minutes in L.A. that he was getting in Ottawa. Okay, and then on the other side of the trade, got to take a look at Marion Gabrick, who I got to say I'm a bit intrigued by. Like, I know he's been disappointing for a while on L.A., but he went right to line one on Ottawa with the red-hot Matt Duchesne and the equally red-hot Mike Hoffman, and he's also been on power play too, so it's not a bad landing spot for Marion Gabrick right now. He had a goal and an assist versus Buffalo in his first game with the Sens. Nothing versus the Rangers yesterday, but he was plus one, so he was on the ice for at least one goal. Didn't happen to get a point on it. What do you think about Marion Gabrick at this point? Does he have any value as a short-term pickup in a league where people are generally streaming these like third wheels on lines? Like, I'm definitely not saying that you're going to add Gabrick and expect him to be great for the rest of the season but seems like he's someone that you can add and hope for something good while he's on that top line auto actually has a pretty good schedule next week they play monday wednesday thursday saturday so at least up until thursday when it's a busy schedule day you get two games out of him or three games if you could fit him in on thursday as well yeah i'm not gonna lie when this trade happened to elon in our patron cast we were able to talk about it it was like 24 hours old or 48 hours old at that point we hadn't seen any games played by either player and our conclusion was that both teams lost the deal. Like, Phaneuf isn't going to do much in L.A., uh, probably still overpaid, although more reasonably with Ottawa retaining salary. And then Gabrick is just someone who's at the end of his career and maybe Ottawa shouldn't even play him so that he doesn't play, get injured, and then there are some, like, cash and roster implications if he has to go on long-term injured reserve. But they both showed us in their first games. I'm going to talk about Gabrick. I'm going to talk about one player who was also showing up when I was ranking players and points since December 28th, where Konechny was king. Matt Duchesne was also up there. He was 14th in the league since the end of December, and even strength points, 
23rd in all situations, which is pretty wild considering that that includes a lot of really awful games from him. So there aren't a lot of players hotter than Matt Duchesne right now. So sure, grab Marion Gabrick, who's playing with him. Mike Hoffman is talented, obviously. So getting to play with those two guys, maybe that helps. I'm still not expecting the Gabrick of old to show up. Like he's had a couple turns with Kopitar over the last couple of years. None of them panned out. And who knows how long Gabrick stays healthy either, like I just said. But if you want to try out Marion Gabrick for a very short while, have him on your fantasy team one last time on a very short leash, then yeah, he's in a pretty good spot for that trial. Hey, the last time the Sens had a Marion, it worked out pretty well for them. You definitely wanted Marion Hosa on your team, so maybe this will be another good Marion on the Sens. We'll see. But yeah, add him for a couple of games if you want to add him. Don't expect it to be long-term. Do you hear my dog barking? No, I was too busy trying to think of another Marion that's played for Ottawa. I don't think you're going to find one. Hmm. Uh, who are even other Marions in the league overall? I'm sure there's a couple. I I thought of Marius Tcherkowski, but that's too old. Also, well, there's like a Marion in, oh, Robin Hood made Marion. Yeah, you know what? I don't think that there was another Marion. I'm looking at hockey reference right now. The uh, Marion Caesar, definitely pronouncing that wrong, played a couple of years for Nashville in the early 2000s. No relevant Marians. Marion Stasny apparently played for the Toronto Maple Leafs from 82 to 86. That is the third most relevant Marion in NHL history. Huh. Okay, yeah, Brian, like, how about these surging sands? You brought up Duchesne. He has 12 points in his last nine games. Mike Hoffman has nine points in his last nine games. Derek Brassard has goals in five of his last six games, which is crazy. And Brassard has been playing on the top power play and a line with Mark Stone and Zach Smith. So he's in a really good spot and doing well right now. Mark Stone, by the way, in case anyone is forgetting about him, he's up to 49 points in 48 games this year, which is insane. Even Zach Smith had two assists yesterday. Like I said, playing on this line with Stone and Brassard. So there's a lot. All of a sudden, we went from like nobody on the Senators is worth owning to now there's like two good lines of players that might be worth picking up in the short term. Like what has changed? Why is everyone doing so well all of a sudden? How am I supposed to play this game called fantasy hockey when it's so unpredictable and players go from doing nothing to doing something? Is there anything I could set my watch to with this team? Okay, but more specifically... Like, which of these players, like, can you rank, do you mind if I ask you, I haven't done this for a while, Brian, can you rank these Sens top six forwards in terms of their lineup and let me know who you would want from most to least on the team? I'm very curious to know. And like, even guys like Zach Smith or Marion Gabryk, like, I'd be curious to know, how would they compare to another available free agent, like maybe like Andre Kasha? Like, how much do you believe in this current offensive output that the Sens have been putting up lately? So Ottawa has scored three or more goals in six straight games, totaling 24 goals in all over those six games. So that's plenty of scoring for everyone to get in on. They're also shooting 12% as a team, which is why we're seeing so many points being distributed. Curiously enough, though, only three of those 24 goals in the last six games for the Ottawa Senators have come on the power play, only three of them, with only one man advantage marker in the last five even. So I don't think that this is a legit team-wide turnaround before you get too excited about any one senator, but it is a nice spurt for a team that has been totally in the dumps for so long. And by the way, Elon, you left out Eric Carlson's six assists in his last six games. He also had six blocks in their last outing, which I'm not happy to see, but as long as he did not get hurt doing it, I guess I can be okay with it in retrospect. Ranking those sends, I would have Duchesne first, then Hoffman, then Broussard, 
then Smith. Of course, I'd have Stone at the top and Carlson at the toppest. Okay, that makes sense. And another guy that's probably worth owning on the Sens, I'd say definitely worth owning if your league counts hits, and actually only worth owning if your league counts hits. Maybe we got to bring up Mark Borowiecki, who is like doing so well. Like the dude has 106 hits in 27 games, which is an average of pretty much four hits a game. You can't count a more reliable hit production. And strangely enough, Mark Borowiecki has even been getting in on this offense. He has four assists in his last five games. I assume you're not going to say this offense will keep up, right? Well, Guy Boucher just called Mark Borowiecki a potential top four defenseman, which is news to everyone who has ever watched Mark Borowiecki play. That said, his game has been an improvement this year over the disastrous last couple when he was getting these hits at great detriment to his team. He would go way out of his way to make a hit, leave the rest of the guys on the ice out to dry. There was a great article uh, by Tyler Dello just heading into this season that had several video examples of him doing this. Anyway, the points for Borowiecki won't keep up, but getting an extra few minutes of ice time per game, which has been happening, that might become a trend to watch for, which of course would only give him a chance to bump up his hit totals even more. So keep your eye on him for those, but not points. Right, but also more minutes could mean maybe an extra shot on goal, maybe a block or two. He's giving you a couple of those. So definitely a really good guy to own in your bangers and mash multi-category leagues. By the way, if you have no idea who we're talking about, his name is spelled Borowiecki, B-O-R-O-W-E-I-K-I or something. Anyways, like it's, it's pronounced Borowiecki. Trust me, this one, I know we don't say them all right. We're saying this one right, okay? And okay, another roster move. Let's mention that the Chicago Blackhawks, they waived Jeff Glass. So this sort of fun story about an older goalie coming in and doing something over. Unfortunately, he went unclaimed. He's back in the minors. We've now got a tandem of Anton Forsberg and JF Berube, at least until Corey Crawford comes back. If Corey Crawford comes back, we keep getting these conflicting reports like he's skating, but he still might get shut down, but who knows? So, but anyways, while Corey Crawford is still out, are we expecting at this point that Anton Forsberg will get leaned on very heavily and he's going to get most of the games? Or is this the kind of thing like a shame on me for keeping on getting fooled? Because I've made that assumption mistake many many times i thought that it was going to be anton forsberg's net just to see jeff glass get starts maybe now all of a sudden jf baruby is going to start stealing all the starts yeah jf baruby is this guy who has been around the nhl and has always held this odd position of every general manager wanting to see what they've got with jf baruby and not waving him down to the minors not bringing him up from the minors because everybody was somehow interested in this guy but no one has really ever given jf baruby an actual chance so maybe this is, uh, I don't know, is this a quick showcase for the Blackhawks to show to showcase him to facilitate a trade? Or is it, like, are they actually serious about giving JF Berube a shot? Either way, uh, it's hard to say that it is Forsberg's net after the way the last month, few weeks, however long it's been, has gone. Like, Forsberg has not even started consecutive games since he did on January 30th and February 1st. So my guess, just by default, is that between Forsberg and Berube, it's going to be a timeshare for now. And my guess is also that Berube mounts more of an actual challenge for starts than Jeff Glass. Oh, hot take. I was really thinking that you were going to say it's Forsberg's time now, because I thought like we were totally not in on JF Berube. So it'll be fun to watch. We'll report back maybe next week. Okay, Brian. So now let's go to some hot streaks and cold streaks to close out the show. Oh, we got a few of them. Don't worry. We still got you guys. I guess people who are listening to the podcast, they can just look and see how much time is left. The people in the live show, they don't know. I don't even know. We'll see. But let's start with a couple easy hot streaks, guys, who obviously aren't available and are amazing. We just got to give some props. 
And let's start with the easiest one, Taylor Hall. Oh my gosh, he's on, Brian, get ready for this. A 17-game point streak. And that's before today. And New Jersey did play today against Carolina. So let's just take a quick look here. And Taylor Hall scored an overtime goal, assisted by Kyle Palmieri and Sammy Vatanen. So let's make that an 18-game point streak with 26 points. He's up to now 62 points in 54 games on the season, which is, I had to calculate as a 91-point pace before today. I guess, that unfortunately, when you get only one point in a game and you're above a point-per-game pace, it's actually going to bring your average down. So maybe now he's down like a 90-point pace on the season. Anyway, Brian, like, let's just look back. Let's remind ourselves where we were with Taylor Hall at the start of the season last year. Like this year, Brian, in our joint league, we had to choose four keepers. And don't worry, we didn't like not keep Taylor Hall. That's not where the story's going. We kept Ovechkin, Tavares, Holtby, and Talbot. And then we went into the draft and we were able to draft Taylor Hall with our fourth pick. So that means every team kept four players. And then there were still three rounds of players that went by before we finally were able to get Taylor Hall. It was the first pick of the fourth round. But hey, that's like an eighth round pick if you account for keepers. And like, if you take a look, like Taylor Hall, he had an ADP and average draft position of 92.6 on Yahoo. So on average, in most drafts, 92 players were drafted above Taylor Hall. I feel like we could at this point expect an upgrade to like top 15 next year, top 20. Like this is a super reliable over point per game player. He's fantastic. And I just want everyone to remember how low he was compared to how high he is. Now. He's for sure going to be a keeper for us. There's no way he's going into the draft in our league, maybe ever again or for a very long time. Yeah, I have my own draft stories of how late Taylor Hall went. And this has been how it's gone the last few years because it's never quite been a situation where he's either stayed healthy or lived up to the huge expectations that have been had for him. But he's always been a really high quality winger. I actually picked him up. In the eighth round in a new league that was not a keeper. So actual eighth round, 70th overall. And I got Taylor Hall with a $26 bid in the cupful, which is hard to put into context. But it was about the same as Mike Hoffman went for and a buck more than Voracek and Giroux, who've also been very good buys this year. So I don't know that that's the greatest. Jake Gensel went for $28, but that was very controversial when it happened. But back to Taylor Hall, presently ranked seventh in the NHL in points per game. And I'm calling it points per game because he's 17th in points on the whole year, but he's missed a few more games than everybody else competing for that points title. Given Taylor Hall's winger status, he should probably be a much earlier pick than 70th overall or eighth round or whatever he went for this year. I don't know that people are willing to give him top 15. Like if we're counting all positions, it might be a squeeze to expect him to go there. Not saying he doesn't deserve to, but gone by the end of round two seems reasonable. He's right up there. Like if I'm looking at left wings, according to NHL.com, not uh, Yahoo or whatever platform you might be using, uh, Brad Marchand, Johnny Gaudreau, Jamie Benn, Alex Ovechkin, Taylor Hall. That's your top group of left wingers. Schwartz, Forsberg, Huberto, probably in the next group. That's fair. And it would be fun to rank those top five. Maybe we could do that in the off season. And speaking of like accounting for all positions, you know what I said before about how I wouldn't recommend drafting a goalie early? Here's an example. I would not take a goalie before Taylor Hall. Give me Taylor Hall, a guaranteed, hopefully point per game player with winger status. And then I'll grab my goalie later. I'm not going to be drafting next year, Marc-Andre Fleury or whoever's going to be, you know, the highest touted goalie going into the draft over uh, like a sure thing like Taylor Hall. Cause we've seen what's happened with Holtby and Price and a whole bunch of other players. But yeah, okay. Also, I guess we should talk about maybe Nico Hischer. There's a lot of players in New Jersey that benefit this Palmieri, but I want to bring up Hischer because we haven't talked about him in a while. Like his value 
must be high just because he's playing with Taylor Hall. Now that we're seeing that Hall is so great, that must mean great things. Like Hitcher, first of all, was a first overall pick, so he's not nobody. And if he's going to be locked, centering the hall line for many years to come that must mean he has a really high keeper level status like i expect above all these like max domi and you know nolan patrick travis connected that we were talking about before like even this year hisher has seven points in his last four games it's up to 38 points in 58 on the season which is a 54 point pace but that's been going up lately like i said do you think he can be a 60 point guy moving forward like i'm curious just to know how high you are on taylor hall centerman nico hisher Hold your horses, Elon. 60-point pace for Nico Hishir. That's a tall order for someone who, to this point, has been a half-point-per-game player. And Hishir has been playing with Hall for, like, pretty much the whole season. So this is not a sudden change where he's playing with the hottest forward in the league or one of the hottest forwards in the league. This is uh, who he's gotten to play with most of the year. So, no, I don't think Hishir is going to put up a 60-point pace the rest of the way. It's possible I'm just not banking on it. He's certainly a fantasy-relevant player right now with the hope that it'll last. And Elon, I also was trying to think about this when when I was preparing. Like, I don't know that the benefit of a centerman getting to play with a top-end winger is the same as the benefit a winger sees when they get to play with a top-end centerman. That would be a fun one to explore someday. Do you have any theories off the top of your head? Yeah, I think that that's wrong. I think that the players playing with Patrick Kane have shown that it's very useful to be there, like a Nisimov or whatever getting points. I don't know. I, I probably could come up with more examples off the top of my head. I'd imagine Nicholas Backstrom has enjoyed playing with Alex Ovechkin all these just, years, but Backstrom's a good player on his own. I, don't know. I just wonder, maybe there are a few wingers who can carry a line than there are centermen. Yeah, maybe. And also, Brian, I think you got to give Hisher a break. Like, I know you're saying, oh, he's been with Hall all year and he's only surging now. And it was his rookie, it's rookie, it's rookie season. He's learning how to play in the NHL. Now he's on a roll. I think he can put up a 60-point pace moving forward. I will not hold my horses. I'm going to slightly tap my horse. I'm going to press A when I'm playing <laughs> Zelda Breath of the Wild when I'm on a horse to make the horse move faster. But okay, let's move on to another player who's on a hot streak that has no chance of being available in your league, but we just got to give him some props. Patrice Bergeron is so good. He's now up to 51 points in 51 games. He had 68 points a couple of years back, and that seemed like his ceiling. We were in the offseason talking about what who's the real Patrice Bergeron, the 68-point guy or the 55-point guy, whatever he was last season. Turns out this year he's showing us that he's a point-per-game guy. He's like maybe an 82-point guy. So what is going on with Bergeron? Like, how is he doing so well? I don't know if you even want to get into that or if you just want to say kudos, way to go, great player. Unfortunately, the same can't be said about the number two center on Boston, David Krejci. He's pointless in five games after going on a bit of a run before that. So Krejci was good. Right now, I'm curious, though, going into, again, fantasy playoffs, we got to look very short term. Is Krejci worth holding? Like, I'm always wary of holding a player who's not on the top line and not on the top power play. Like, Krejci is not a go-to guy for offense for the Bruins. So should people still be holding on? Or is this five-game pointless streak enough to say, all right, forget about it? Like, he's playing on a line with Ryan Spooner and Jake DeBrusque. Which isn't that great? He's only on power play two. Like I said, hard to expect much offense out of him down the stretch for me. He's not even shooting that much. I kind of think I'd prefer even like Andre Kasha, who we brought up before. Yeah, you would prefer him over like anyone in the world right now. You're feeling really high on your most recent Kasha ad. Good for you. Uh, starting with Patrice Bergeron, do some regression. Right now, he's shooting at about a 14.5% clip, which would be the highest of his career. He should be shooting closer to 10%. The flip side of that is that Bergeron has kept up his new 
quote unquote new thing where he shoots a ton on pace to land right back in the 280 300 shot on goal range that he broke into for the first time in 2015 16 kept up last year so this will be the third year that he does it last year he did it while posting a shooting percentage that was down at seven percent half the number he's got this year which is maybe why there was a blip between two seasons ago and this season in terms of how consistently he's been able to produce points david Krejci. I'm actually a little more comfortable with him than Andre Kasha at first blush. Don't worry. I'm circling back. Like even with this slump, Krejci is scoring at a 59 point full season pace, which is actually just only one point ahead or actually half a point ahead if we're not rounding of Kasha's 82 game pace. So pick your guy between the two, I guess. I think what I'm saying between Krejci and Kasha is that I see more unsustainability in Kasha's numbers than Krejci. But if Kasha holds better deployment, then that could even it up. In leagues that aren't so deep, you could maybe get away with dropping Krejci in the short term if you're wondering what to do with him in your lineup, adding him back when he gets rolling again. But I would have a little more patience than you do, Elon. And for anyone who does keep Krejci, though, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to counter myself right now. One thing you need to watch closely if you're a Krejci owner, Krejci has seen 15 and a half minutes or less in three of his last five games, which is a very new thing for him. So if that trend continues to be the case, if he continues seeing like 15 minutes or less of ice, he obviously becomes more droppable. Yeah, I'll, I'll say let him go. Who has time for this? I don't know. I've been, I'm very biased in terms of, not biased in terms of like, you know what I care about, but just top, not top line, not top power play. You've got to really, you got to be doing something, taking a bunch of shots or just doing something to convince me that you're worth holding. I'm very quick to drop these guys. And sometimes to my detriment, like another guy I'd probably be dropping at this point is Danton Heinen, who's also called pointless in four. He was really good for a while. Right now doesn't seem worth owning in my opinion. I'm curious to know if you agree. Like if anything, I'd prefer his line mate David Backus. Like even in a non-hits league, Backus has five points in his last five games, which is great. He's taking more shots. Kind of hard to say, like, who's the Bruins' best forward to own right now outside of the obvious top three guys? Maybe it's simply even just Ryan Spooner, who's up to 24 points in 36 games on the year, which is very solid. And he's on the top power play. So why don't just take the top power play guy, call it a day. I think that seems fair because it changes all the time who the best guy between Heinen and Krejci and Spooner and Debrusque. And is there another guy I'm missing in this conversation? Bacchus. Bacchus, right. Danton Heinen specifically, he was actually dropped in my couple division. I'm like, oh, this is great. And I put in a bid. I put in $0. I was shocked I got him. And then he did absolutely nothing. So whoever dropped him was uh, was smarter than I was. Uh, Heinen had just three shots and one assist over four games in which his time on ice dipped below 11 minutes. He had been the guy that you could count on all year long. The depth, the number four Bruin to count on. Um, now in his last game, he's back up to 16 minutes and he registered four shots. So maybe Heinen is back in the picture that way. Always changing. Uh, can I say Krejci is my answer though? Yeah, go for it. Krejci. I'll say Spooner. But okay, let's now go to another always changing situation, which are the lines on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Right now, we've got a new first liner playing with Sidney Crosby. Got to bring him up, Zach Aston Reese, who is doing really well lately. Scored versus Toronto yesterday on four shots. He also threw seven hits in that game, so he's helping you there as well. Three shots versus LA on Thursday, no points, but he had two goals versus Ottawa on Tuesday with four shots. Pittsburgh played today. They beat Columbus 5-2. to I'm just looking at the box score now. And yeah, Zach Anton Reese. Sorry, Zach Aston Reese. Got to get that right. 
Oh, I got to ask you, who is this guy? I'll probably learn his name at some point. If he keeps this up, he scored a goal again today. He had another four hits, by the way. So he's looking really good. Obviously, it's great to be on the Crosby line. Who knows how long it'll last? You never know. He's playing with Crosby and Sheary. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure if I said that. But Brian, tell us, like, who is Zach Aston Reese? And do you think he could stick on line one, like, for at least this upcoming week? Like, if we take a look at the Pittsburgh schedule, not that great. They only play Friday, Saturday. So you'd have to really be into him if you'd want to pick him up and have him sit and do nothing for you all the way until Friday. But maybe he's worth it, putting up all these points, playing with Sidney Crosby. Zach Aston Reese is an undrafted 23-year-old forward. He was a Hobie Baker finalist in the final year of his college career at Northeastern last season. Then he jumped to join the Baby Pens at the end of that season, scoring eight points in his first 10 pro games. Now he's in his first full pro season, has nine goals, 20 assists for 29 points in 49 games in the AHL. Dauber Prospects has him billed as a two-way depth secondary scoring guy. I don't know anything more that I should add to that because Dauber Prospects have done their homework. I have not. That is a, that is as much information as I have to share about him. I guess you could just add him to, uh, to the list of Penguins who you're about to mention and be like, should we pick them up for two games on a good schedule? Okay, yeah, you don't like that? This is what, well, this is what our listeners want to hear. I mean, we've just been through it so many times, so just go for it. Hey, that's how you win your league, by picking up the correct Pittsburgh Penguin every week. (laughs) I'm not saying you don't do it. I'm just saying, like, we know, we know that if a Pittsburgh guy is playing with Crosby or Malkin, doesn't matter what their name is, you probably want to add them. All right, so let's go through the list of Pittsburgh Penguins that you might want to be adding right now. Brian Rust has continued to kill it. Brian, I wonder if at one point you're going to upgrade Brian Rust. You've always said, oh, like Brian Rust when referring to other players as a guy who you add and drop depending on his line. But he's been really good lately, and he's had other good stretches before. He had a goal and assist yesterday, six points in his last four games before today. How did he do today? One assist. There you go. Keeps the streak going. He's been great. Carl Haglin has been doing great on the line with Malkin and Rust. Malkin, by the way, so good. He's my predicted Art Ross winner. You remember in that show when I put my foot in my mouth and I said that Connor McDavid probably won't be able to do it. McDavid's actually one point behind Malkin right now. So he's catching up. And of course, it's Kucherov in the lead. But anyway, Malkin is good. So you want players playing with him. Haglin and Rust are the two. And like I said, uh, Haglin's also doing well. He had a goal and assist yesterday along with five shots. So Haglin helps you with the shots. How did he do today? Checking this on the fly. And Haglin, no points. Okay, forget about him. Too many good players. One game without a point, you got to drop him. <laughs> okay, then we have uh, Connor Sheary. That was sarcasm, by the way. So Connor Sheary was on a three-game assist streak before yesterday. Uh, Jake Gensel, I wasn't even planning on bringing up because can't bring up everybody and he hadn't been doing anything lately. But then today, he put up a really good game. One goal and two assists playing with Phil Kessel. So I don't know, Brian, like, do you want to just move on? Like, I, I feel like a lot of people would have to decide, like, which of these players to add. Like I said, maybe don't add any of them right now because Pittsburgh doesn't play till Friday. Friday is a light schedule, though. So if you could get a streamer in for a game, is there one name that jumps out at you between <laughs> Zach Aston Reese, Brian Russ, Carl Haglin, uh, you know, I don't know, Connor Sheary? I'll go Russ, Sheary, Haglin, Aston Reese. Oh, not too high on this uh, Hobie Baker finalist. So we'll see if you get it right. So you add Rust first? Yeah, Rust first. Okay, and since we're on Pittsburgh, let's mention Matt Murray has won seven of eight games. Did he play today? I don't think that Murray played today. No, it was Tristan Jari, but Murray has been so good. Like I said, he's won seven of his last eight, 922 save percentage since coming back from his absence. Seems like the only tier one goalie that we called that's actually living up to it at this point, which is funny because earlier in the season, we were like, he was one of the disappointing goalies. So it just goes to show, again, the theme of the episode, who knows with goalies, don't 
put too much stock into them in your draft because it's so hard to predict, though. Matt Murray looking really good. Pittsburgh looking really good. I think they're going to be a really strong cup contender for the rest of the year. Okay, some more players on hot streaks who might be available for people to pick up in free agency. Some previously quiet uh, Detroit Red Wings are making noise lately, specifically Franz Nielsen. He's really come out of nowhere to put up two goals and six assists in his last seven games. That's not including today. So I guess I could do this on the fly again. Detroit is playing Toronto. It's currently 2-2 in the third. And Franz Nielsen has no points. So, okay, that goes down a little bit. But still, like, he used to be really good. He's a couple years removed from his solid 52-point season that he put up on the Islanders in 2015-16. He's four years removed from a really, really good season where he put up 59 points. So is there any sense that what he's doing now is some sort of resurgence? Or is this, like, an obviously fleeting situation, no point in banking on Franz Nielsen? Like, he's playing with Darren Helm and Justin Abdelkader. So I feel like it would be pretty hard to keep getting these points. But he's been doing it lately. Franz is not being pumped up by Jeff Blashill this year. He's seen a big cut in his ice time this year. Nielsen is down to 15 and a half minutes on average, which is like 90 seconds less per game than he was seeing the year before, which can't be what the Red Wings expected when they signed Nielsen for six years at five and a quarter million dollars each as a free agent just two summers ago. And Nielsen has a modified no trade clause that kicks in after this season too. I don't know if they could get rid of that contract if they could. He could provide value, though, like if Mikhail back. Anyway, uh, I can't fault uh, Nielsen for his own performance. Uh, he's had an underwhelming year, yes, but he's played the large part of the season with Darren Helm, Justin Ablocator, and Luke Glendening as his most common line mates. And for as long as that continues to be the case, along with ice time below 16 minutes, I'm not getting my hopes up too high. I will call his run fleeting, though I do think Nielsen is capable of something like this on a more regular basis if he's actually put into a better situation. Yeah, though, I doubt it'll happen because he's the third center, and I don't think that Dylan Larkin or Henrik Zetterberg are going to be getting bumped for him. And by the way, speaking of Zetterberg, uh, his line mate's also doing things, which is nice. Anthony Mantha, once again, just like last year, on and off, really hot, then really cold. Right now, he's hot. He's got three goals and two assists in his last five games. That's before today, and he scored a goal today, so you could add to that. He's playing in a much better situation than Franz Nielsen. Like I said, he's playing with Zetterberg and Nyquist to even strength and on the top power play. I feel like Anthony Mantha is definitely worth a look if he's in free agency. I don't really want to ask you about him. If anything, let's talk about the Detroit goalie situation, which seems to be in flux again. Maybe we'll get some clarity at the trade deadline. If Mrazek could just get traded, then it'll be easy. But like Howard played three games in a row. And then Mrazek came in and he played great in the 3-1 win in Nashville yesterday. And then they decided to play Mrazek again on the second half of a back-to-back today against Toronto. And so far, he's been pretty good. He's only letting two goals on 32 shots. It's a tie game. Looks like he's going to help Detroit get at least that one point. Hopefully, I didn't jinx it for the Leafs who are on this amazing win streak. But yeah, like uh, who knows? between Mrazek and Howard, if no one gets traded, do you want to say anything about the situation? Or do you just want to say like, who knows? Cause that's clearly like, I feel like there's no way that you can have a prediction at this point. I, I don't. Okay. So speaking of the Leafs, is there anything to this rookie Travis Dermott? Like we've talked about a lot of Leafs throughout the season. So obviously I could talk about who's been good lately, but I want to bring up Dermott just cause he has three assists in his last two games and eight points in 17 games overall after being called up, which is a 39-point pace, which is pretty good, especially for a rookie defenseman. Any chance he can keep this up? Like, if you're in a deep league and you could use a defenseman, is Travis Dermott anything? Or do you think that this is, like, a fleeting thing? Like, he'd be lucky to keep up this pace of 39 points or, like, this, like, really great pace of three assists in his last two games before today. I mean, the one good thing is the Leafs score a lot of goals. So there's a lot of opportunities for Travis Dermott to get in on them. 
I mean, I know you didn't ask who Travis Dermott is, but he's a 22-year-old, 34th overall pick of the Leafs back in 2015. He, so far this year, has two goals, 16 assists for 18 points in 28 games with the Marlies, which is an improvement over his first pro season last year and pretty good numbers for a defenseman. Dauber prospects Brian Harling thinks Dermott is going to stick with the big club for the rest of the year, that he's done his time in the minors, and also makes a comparison to like Duncan Keith in terms of his skating and puck moving abilities, not to say like they're elite or as good as Duncan Keith, but maybe that's a model to compare to. I know, I know some prospects people hate comparables, but anybody following prospects wants that comparison so that they know, like it's, they have a benchmark at least to measure up against. Anyway, maybe Dermont can evolve into a top four guy. Ice time is still ebbing and flowing at the moment. And I'm just not sure how much more room for production there is on the Toronto Blue Line with Riley and Gardner already there. But it seems like he could have some upside if he keeps gaining trust and ice time from Mike Babcock. I did not realize there were two Harlings working on Dauber Prospects. Of course, we've had Peter Harling on the show. Apparently, there's a Brian Harling. I wonder if they're related. I wonder if we'll find out one day. Tweet at us. Let us know. Okay, let's go to Winnipeg. Lots of line shakeups there. They keep shaking. Like, Winnipeg's having good seasons. Sometimes I wonder why coaches want to shake things up when things are going well. But we're kind of back to where we started. We have Kyle Connor back on line one with Shifley and Wheeler. And that's obviously a great situation for him. And probably means it's time to get him back. He scored a power play goal today. He's been hot lately. Like, before today, he scored a goal on four shots in his last game he's also back on the top power play i think he's been there the whole time so kyle connor if you dropped him when he was uh, in like the fourth line for a while now's the time to take a look see if you could get him back then we've also had jack roslovich who we said looks like he's done being relevant he was on line two with little and perot this is actually in uh the previous game not today's game so let me take a quick look at the line combos of dauber hockey see if that's still match. so for today they were going connor shifley wheeler Little Perot, Roslovich. So yeah, just what I said. And then Ehlers with Line and Andrew Kopp. So really spreading around the offense and having three lines with superstars and giving potentially some value to guys like Kyle Connor, Jack Roslovich, and Andrew Kopp who are playing with these superstar Winnipeg scorers. I wonder how long this will last. I don't know if you have any general takes about these guys. I think my main take is you'd probably want to go back and get Kyle Connor if you still can. Yeah. You definitely should have if you dropped him. I, there were so many reasons to drop him, so many reasons to keep him. I imagine this is not the last time we talk about him going from bad to good to bad to good. Uh, but for now, he's good. Yeah, like regardless, you should have him right now because if he's on the top line, top power play, just scored a power play goal today. Who Who's really better in free agency than the top line, top power play guy on the Jets playing with Wheeler and Shifley? That's such an amazing pair of players to play with. And Kyle Connors, you know, not chop liver. He's pretty good himself. Uh, okay, let's go to a couple cold streaks now. With Minnesota, we should probably talk about Nino Niederreiter at this point. He's been struggling. Now's the time, Brian, where people have to make some tough decisions, decide if they should drop their struggling players before going into their fantasy playoffs. Niederreiter has just one goal in his last five games, only two goals and no assists in his last nine games. Seems like he was moving around the lineup a bit yesterday. He spent some time with Koivun Granlund, but then also some time with Marcus Foligno and Joel Eriksson Ek. So with fantasy playoffs coming up, do you think it's worth holding on to Nino Niederreiter for the upside of his 57 points last season? Or do you think it's time to let him go? If you can be patient, I would want to hold on to Nino Niederreiter. But if you can't, then you have every right to drop him now. His ice time is just cratering. Niederreiter has not played more than 14 minutes and 48 seconds in his last six games and saw a season low 10 and a half minutes in Saturday's game against Anaheim. I think Niederreiter is better than he's shown, but he's sure not getting the opportunity to show much better with deployment like that. One issue may be that his line mates have been all 
over the place. Eric Stahl has not been bothered by it, though. He and Nita Ryder have been together for a large part of the season with a rotating third piece lately. I think it's been Tyler Ennis um, trying to figure out still what's wrong with Nita Ryder this season. His variance markers are actually all over the place. High shooting percentage, high on ice shooting percentage, quite low IPP. I'm still holding out hope that Nita Ryder can rebound, but not so much that you can't cut bait if you need some immediate help. I think if he's playing as well as he should be, 50 to 55 point pace is still the reasonable expectation. So you're not even cutting a huge asset loose if you do need to do the deed. Okay, yeah. Probably time to let him go if you've got someone good like Zach Aston Reese available for you in free agency. Play with Sidney Crosby and all these other Pittsburgh guys. Brian, by the way, I totally did just jinx the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sorry to the Leafs fans. They lost. Austin Matthews scored a goal with like 30 seconds left, and the Leafs are going to win now 3 to 2. And Razak's not going to help Detroit get that extra overtime point sorry okay let's end the show by talking about another cold streak guy a guy who just signed a six-year 32.1 million dollar contract extension i think you were like about to bring him up and then you didn't in a previous player so now you can bring him up mikhail backland we were loving him for a while when he was on the top power play on calgary i guess it was around a month ago but he's off that unit now and he's pointless in seven games he's on the second line with matthew kachuk and michael froleek like he's been like all of last year he did well there for a while but right now nothing so is he a snoozer at this point or do you hang on like he's still taking a decent number of shots so that's good but not much to show for it yeah not much to show for it because he has no goals on his last 27 shots which is kind of unfair to him. He should have been able to do a little bit better. Still would not be quite to the highs that we'd seen him uh, put up earlier this season in point paces or on, on little runs he's had, but still at least stay a little more fantasy relevant. That said, the Flames aren't paying him for points. They're paying him for what he does at both ends of the ice. Such a well-rounded, balanced player. He can score. He can defend. What a guy. What a deal for Calgary to lock him down for that long at that price. Oh. You're so happy for him and for the Flames. That's nice. Mikhail Backlund has a fan in Brian Com. I'm personally, I'm a big fan of Dougie Hamilton, but I'll just bring him up quickly. I feel like every season, Hamilton goes cold for a while and we start getting questions of whether you should drop him. And he's showing now why never drop him. He's on such a good run. He had a hat trick versus Florida yesterday. Nothing to say about him except kudos to Dougie Hamilton. He clearly has the talent, takes a ton of shots. Next year, he's probably going to go cold again for a while, though maybe it's less likely now that he's finally gotten on the top power play. But as long as he, well, no, just forget about it. Any, no caveats, no extra hedges needed. Uh, you know, Dougie Hamilton is really, really good and a very solid fantasy hockey asset. Brian, that's all I got for you. So unless you want to add anything, I'm ready to wrap this baby up. I guess you've covered, I, you know, I had a couple players, but I lost my list. Oh, Keith Kincaid, still starting games in New Jersey. Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Schneider, Schneider's been out for a while. If you need a starter and you're trying to, like, if you're trying to decide about what to do with James Reimer and Keith Kincaid is out there, I would happily go with Keith Kincaid. And Brian, you were whining in the chat room about, well, who was it? Like Mark Edward Vlasic getting points and someone else, like you were saying, there are these players that your opponents have that you're surprised they're even owned that are getting points against you. Who was the list? My opponent this week has Michael Matheson, John Moore, Jacob Slavin, Mark Edward Vlasic, and each one of them got an assist tonight to swing that category. Thankfully, uh, it has zero implications on the playoff standings, but it's still just very irritating, although I guess it's my own fault because my opponent has held those guys all week, and that's all he needed to tie the, the category. Like, you'd think I should be way ahead if those are the guys I'm competing against. 
Well, actually, Mark Edward Vlasic, I haven't looked up all these guys, but Vlasic's now in a four-game point streak. He has two assists today, and yeah. he had an assist in each of the last three games. He's, there's something weird about Vlasic this year. Like, he really became... Like, he was a super fantasy-relevant guy a few seasons ago. Like, if you go back to, like, 2000... Like, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe not. I don't know. Now I'm looking at his stats. Like, a couple seasons ago, we had 39 points in 67 games, which is good. That's like a 45-point pace. Then last year, a huge step back, only 28 points in 75 games. And now this year, I guess he's somewhere in the middle, looking like a 40 point guy lately at least like good for you mark edward vlas like obviously he helps just like you were saying about backland like he's not exactly there for offense he's there to help the team control play and be good defensively but vlasic's on a nice run right now maybe he's someone worth a look in the short term if he's available to you especially because he also gives you some peripherals they have actually all like those four matheson moore slavin and vlasic have all had a better week or as good a week at least than eric carlson like his that group has four goals and 11 assists this week. What are the odds? No, but I mean, when you say what are the odds, like I could find you a group of four players who no one would have guessed that have a really good week. I could find that for you every week. All defensemen who are likely not owned in any other league. Okay, let's check next week. There's always going to be some player that gets a couple There's going to be four defensemen every week that you think can can gather 15 points who are owned in zero leagues. <laughs> okay, first of all, I don't think like Jacob Slavin and Michael Matheson were like owned in zero leagues. Like they've been known to, and Mark Edward Vlasic have been decent. But okay, I get what you're saying. Just when you say, what are the odds? In general, it's like a life lesson. Whenever something strange happens, like when someone wins the lottery twice in a row, you're like, what, or not twice in a row, but you're twice in their life. You're like, oh, what were the odds that per- that someone would win the lottery twice? That, that's astronomical. It must be a proof of a higher power or something. But really it's like, you can't think of what are the odds of a single person doing it. What are the odds of anyone in the world winning the lottery yes. twice so many people in the world it is actually kind of likely that it's going to happen that there's going to be some person who wins the lottery twice it's going to happen there's going to be some random defensemen who do well it's not likely that it's going to be on your opponent's team that's for sure so luckily for you it didn't have any implications for your season that was a silly rant why did i do that uh, i well, have I no idea okay well i don't know i just felt like chatting but i'm gonna end it now so thanks everyone for tuning in for another episode we really appreciate all of our listeners it's really great to have you listening uh, if you're like subscribed to the show that's really good i think that helps us also if you're giving us i want to do this once by the way if you want to give us a five-star review on itunes or whatever platform you listen to us on if they have a review system we'd love if you could help spread the word get us some new listeners that's all for that. Uh, you can tweet at us. We have a Twitter at Keeping Carlson. We're happy to give you fantasy advice as your playoffs approach. Give us a follow there. Also, I know Brian retweets things and tweets things. Also, there's a funny joke today. Fair it was, but it really made me laugh. So you can follow us at Keeping Carlson and see Brian's funny tweet. Uh, and it was about the Oilers line combos. I'm glad you liked it. Oh yeah, and then there was a picture from the Simpsons of like the the, the monkeys at typewriters, and that's like how they're coming up with the lines. That's funny. The Oilers really shake things up. And hey, by the way, Connor McDavid, another. I don't. Anyway, okay, Connor McDavid's really good. FYI, it wow. Doesn't matter. doesn't matter who he's playing with. Hot take. analysis. Uh, what else? Oh, we have a patron program. It's still worthwhile, I think. The thing with signing up to be a patron is you don't have to be, oh, it's the end of the year. What's the point at this point? Like, you could sign up and then cancel. So, why not become a patron? Throw us five bucks, throw us like a beer that one of us will have next month. We'll fight over it. Maybe we could have a patron cast where we'll have a, you know, I don't know, some sort of fight trivia contest to see who gets your beer. And yeah, you get a bunch of bonus content. We're still doing bonus shows every week. You get the opportunity to throw us any question you have and we'll answer it on our mailbag shows or on our patron cast. Like better than tweeting at us your question and getting, you know, a whatever 280 character response at max, you could ask your question, get Brian to discuss it 
in detail and research it. So consider it. Keepingcarlson.com slash patron. If not, no big deal. We still love you. With that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? Actually, no, don't cue the outro music yet. I want to point out that last week, I don't know if you heard in the edit, I said cue the outro music, we played the music, and then you went on and talked for like five minutes. So actually, before I do it, Brian, can I cue the outro music or do you have like a lot to say? No, I'm making I'm, I'm making amends for last week. This is going to be quick. Okay, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, go ahead and read us the credits. Oh, but wait, there was a... Okay, no, joking. Okay, this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest one, John S., and I think a a return of Colin S. Thank you very much for joining us at this point in the season. Uh, Also, thanks to Jared. Shout out to Jared for helping name the Filmatic episode a couple weeks ago, and I think he is going to be one of the contributors to this week's episode title as well. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, Hockey Viz, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantraps. Great job as always, Brian. And we will catch you all with another episode next Sunday. You can join us, keepingcarlson.com slash live, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks to everyone in the chat room, and see you later. Until then... Keep on keeping Carl signed.